Hey everybody, the con artist here. It's actually just Scott and I this time for a very special <sighs> podcast. Um, so Fathom Events put on Satoshi Kon's Millennium Actress on the big screen uh, just a couple days ago, and I had the privilege of going to see it. Um, I don't know, Scott, if you know this, it's actually my favorite anime movie ever. I did not know that. Yeah, it is it, certainly it, it is. very high up. I don't know if it's, it's my top, but boy, it's in... It's high up there. It's real good. Yeah, it's my favorite anime movie ever. I made the tragic mistake of uh, not caring for it when we first watched it as part of Club, you know, Anime Club when we were in college. Oh, really? And, yeah, hmm. I couldn't sit through it. I was so used to like DBZ and Sailor Moon <laughs> and stuff on Toonami. And I was like, what is this nonsense? And I left like really early in the film. Uh, and then I, I came back. They played it again during finals week at some point. I was so stressed that I was like, Ugh, I just I need something not uh, engineering related. And so I came mm. and just sat in on the film. And thank goodness there weren't that many people there. And I sat in the back because I I just couldn't stop crying. And I was like, this is the best movie ever. So anyway, it was an absolute privilege. Uh, to be able to see it again on the big screen. That is so cool. Good work, Fathom Events. Yes. So, so excited. Um, so, guys, just spoiler warning. We're going to, we're gonna, there's going to be spoilers in, in this for Millennium Actress. Oh, highly, goodness, yes. highly recommended. You do not listen to this podcast. It, it's just go watch that film. Yeah, like, really we're going to be talking to. themes and stuff, and you're probably just going to be like, what are they talking about? Just go see it. Yes. It's so good. It's so amazing. All right, so Scott, why don't you give us a little bit of a synopsis about what Millennium Actress is about? Sure. So I guess the the framing for the movie is uh, there's a guy that's going to do a documentary about this famous actress uh, and the many films she did during her career. So like he gets to go talk to her. She's she's old and retired now at this point. Uh, and by sort of doing this documentary and talking with her, they relive her career and also sort of the time period in which she lived and her personal story, kind of all three of them wrapped up together as they go through, you know, kind of her and them talking about her, uh, the things she did in her career. Uh, it's, it's quite complicated. <laughs> it is very complicated. Yeah. It's, it's something you really got to see and, and understand how the visuals carry all that together. Um, but yes, that's what's going on. Yeah, it's so cool. Like they they merge. You know, there's present day reality where this guy's making the documentary, the past reality. Like Choka's reminiscing about her life, I guess. And then there's the film she made, and like they merge the films and the reality and the people doing the documentary, like all together in the scene all at once. Yeah, it's, it's definitely so cool. It's like, definitely a magical realism thing. Like you're you're walking through all these pieces with her. So. Yeah, like it's 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 like one of the most information dense movies I've seen. There's so much to take in on different layer, you know, levels. You know, I when when we left the theater, my husband was like, "I feel like I've just read fine literature." Like that's how dense uh. it was. Yeah, so it's a really good way to describe it, actually. Very dense. Um, so I want to get some of the easy stuff out of the way. Oh, yeah. Um, the 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 art and the music. Holy crap. Mm, the music. Wow. It's so good. It's just just stunning. I mean, Satoshi Kon was actually a background artist by by trade and holy wow, does it, it shows. show. Just Yeah, like the characters themselves are quite good and well animated, but the backgrounds are incredible. Yeah. Just like, painstaking detail and I mean, Scott, you actually did a 
an entire presentation on Millennium Actress one of the years during Good yeah, Anime. Well, so everyone should go check that out on our videos section of the yeah, videos. of the blog. Shameless plug. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this, there's, there's a shot where it just, cause the camera sort of just glazes over some magazine covers of, of oh. Chioko when she's younger and her movie posters. And, like, you can't even believe these are hand-drawn. You really can't. I mean, it's just stunning amounts of detail. Or at one point, it just sits on, like, a, a pillar that's in her house, in Chioko's house. Oh, the one above her. Yeah, like the sort of the central beam of her house, I think. Yeah, well, there's one that runs across and there's one that's standing up, just like a pillar okay. that's standing up. And like the wood grain, like the detail of the wood grain, I was like, my jaw just hits the floor every time. And man, the painstaking detail that goes into all of those shots. Uh, just wow. Yeah, I love those magazine covers because like, they're sort of done in the style of how you might expect like a magazine advertising a movie to look so, like they're different than the stuff around them. They're super detailed and you've been watching her like sort of relive these movies. And so you're like, Oh, like I, I get it. Like I've seen quote unquote that movie that's on that, that magazine cover right there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, music, man, I feel like we need a whole podcast about the music. By it's itself. almost unfair. Like, just, I'm almost going to have to leave it at the music's great and fits really well. Yeah, but. exactly. So it's it's incredible. Um, and I think that'll roll right into my first point, which is composition. Uh, the movie's mm. composition is extraordinary. I mean, there's just the, the blending of the visuals with the music, the way he times everything, shoots everything, just puts every scene together with such purpose it's very rare that I see such a thing. Like, you can very clearly tell. You need to watch till the very end to realize the brilliance of every shot he's put together. You know, it's it's like Satoshi Kon literally, like, sat and mapped out this entire film and really oh, I have to imagine had a plan. It was, like, the storyboard for this must have been very elaborate. Yes. Like, yes, it must have been excruciating. But yeah, all, all the choice of, of camera angles and, you know, where the music fits in, how how it's timed, uh, just the sense of setting and space, you know, the sequence where Choco, you know, tries to find this, this mysterious stranger she's in love with and he's getting on a train and so she's running mm. to the train station in her town and... Like, at one point, she rounds a corner and she actually slips because it's winter and there's ice on the ground. And so she's, like, whipping around the corner. Her feet give and she slides and she slams into the ground. And I was like, what an incredible sequence. Like, he understands his setting. It's winter. We're, we didn't just set it at this time for no apparent purpose just to draw snow or something. Like... He understands the space she's in, and she takes that tumble like a real person would. Oh, yeah. Like, know... I, like, this is definitely not running anime girl does the clumsy trip and fall. Like, no. This is, like, feet come out. Like, it's it's really well done. Yeah, like, it's she slides naturally like she would, and her hip slams into the ground, and she has to roll and get up. Or, like, she's running on the train platform, and she's crashing into people. Like, she's bumping yeah, like shoulders bumping she with goes people. By. Like, people people matter in the scene like it's not just just her so 
you know, just this is real understanding of, of space and character and setting. I mean, it's it's so amazing. Right. Which then gets used to great effect with the like the blending of reality and movie. Like one of the best scenes for this that I can think of was she's it's like later in the movie and she's um like cleaning up the office, I guess, like her husband. She's, she's married at this point to the director and she's cleaning up this office and finds this key. Right. Which is a big deal in the movie. Like he, he's he's been hiding it from her sort of. And like the camera pulls out and now they're on a set like arguing like as if she'd found the key on the set and not in the house where she was like living with him like you know sort of breaking you out of the scene and like i don't know just the way it was done was really good it's hard to put into words yeah you know that happens again later in the um the sequence with her on the spacecraft where oh, it, yeah. yeah where it's, it's shaking and then it pulls out and suddenly you're in the middle of of her movie sequence and you're like yeah, oh like my a gosh photo, like there's actually a crew there and stuff doing things and you're like oh oh we're on a set now yeah yeah it's super cool the way it does that and um yeah so i mean that's really what i want to talk about with regards to composition it's so beautifully composed so lovingly composed just so so much effort went into making this film you get so immersed, which which is my next point. Um, the narrative, the narrative is so intensely captivating. You know, I already wasted my use of immerse right there, but man, <laughs> I am drawn in a hundred percent. And you know, like yeah, you were like saying, it starts off slow, and then like suddenly, it gets to the point where we're going back to the past. And you're like, wait, what? And then you know, midway through, you're just totally in. Exactly. You're just, you're swept into the emotions. You're swept into Chiyoko's life. You're swept into the story, into the romanticism of it all. Like you are so in and so, you know, your, your heels are dug so deep in that you, you feel what she feels. And like you're saying, you're shocked when the, the camera pulls out and you're on a movie set. You're like, where am I? When am I? What's happening? Um, and you, you want to, to be there and you know, be feeling what she's feeling. And he accomplishes this in just, just every sequence that comes thereafter. Like every emotion she's feeling or Genya's feeling, the guy who's mm. making the documentary because he plays an equally important part in the film, is is just so real to you, even though, you know, these are fictional characters, so. Yeah, but also what I thought this was a good touch, like the cameraman character, Right. So the movie, you can get it's you can get super deep into this movie and there's all these like multiple layers of what you're looking at. But the cameraman, who's kind of a jerk, honestly, like at times, like keeps the movie from getting like too deep because he's always dressed in his modern clothes. He's always got his camera. He never like gets involved in the action of the film like Genya does, because Genya like loves to get involved in the action. And he kind of sarcastically he makes fun of Genya a little bit as he relives these supporting roles. So He's like a really good, I guess, grounding influence to sort of remind you of the larger framing of the movie, uh, which I kind of appreciated. Yeah, and I think he also serves thematically to help you understand that sense of immersion. Like, Genya is always transforming, right, into yeah. the costume. And there's the actually costume. a sequence. He's, he's like, he, like he, he, he takes on the role of essentially all the supporting actors in these films as they relive them. Correct. And and very important supporting actors, like actors in particular that help move Choco on her journey. Um as opposed to someone like Aiko, which is uh right. an older actress that 
you know, Chioko encounters very early in the film, who always plays her nemesis. So it's, you know, that's his role and it's it's very thematic. And there's actually one sequence where they're in, you know, older, like Meiji era and he is the general oh. <laughs> who who helps her like get to her lord and then he gets shot right and he's falling and he's like oh and it's like slow motion and then the camera like comes out the next scene <laughs> is like old choco like you know this 70 year old woman like reliving riding on that horse to her lord and like genya pretending to fall backwards and he's like my lady and she's like noburo and like they're literally playing the scene out and like you said the cameraman the is like camera guy's just saying like what am i looking the at heck these is crazy people happening right now you two are nuts <laughs> but like it it gives you that moment to understand like you said hey we're we're here in this room but also that the cameraman never gets fully immersed the way say we are right. or genya is or choco is living you know reliving this whole thing they're they're there they're living this so there's a difference between like being there and hearing the story like the cameraman and literally living the story like Chioko and Genya. And so you get those two conflicting sides told visually. You know what I mean? You never have to hear yeah. that out of either of them. It's all told visually. Just mastercraft. So good. And actually your your point about the characters brings up something I liked. The movie does a, like a lot right it's a really good movie with so few characters like there's basically only four characters in the film chioko eiko the man with the scar to some degree and genya and some secondary characters like the cameraman the director and the artist but like they're they're you know, relegated to a far smaller role than those four but because the film for like the framing where we have them reliving all these films lets them take on all these different roles where they're basically similar people in different eras it feels like a like a much larger cast than it is yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was also really neat about it in terms of like a, like how the movie was made thing is because you've always got these characters reprising their similar roles, like you said, Echo's always the nemesis, it sort of subtly contributes to the like the spinning wheel woman, like the she's got the spinning wheel. Her assertion that Shioko is doomed to repeat this chase forever, like she'll always be trapped chasing this guy. And like it kind of contributes to that in a neat way. Yeah, yeah, and it, she leaves you with this this very deep mystery to ponder, actually, the woman with the spinning wheel. We meet her very early in Chioka's first film in that Meiji era, and she says to her, I love you more than anything in the world, and I hate you more than anything in the world, and you are forever doomed to just be here to and burn, repeat. Yeah, to burn in the fires of eternal love. Yeah, yeah. So, just... Wow. And, and you know, I think you can interpret that so many different ways. Um, Actually, I was meaning to ask, I have my interpretation. What's your interpretation of, of what she, you know, what she stands, sort of stands for in the movie? Oh, man. So Alex and I were debating this a little bit. Um, so Ooh. I actually think that it is her career because I think her career is something that brings her enormous success. It pushes her forward and forward and forward. And she's always chasing this guy, but it also eternally keeps her stuck in place. Like, she's just forever this person chasing, so, and never quite making it. So, I, I think it's it's both, like, it loves her so deeply, like, 
literally she is loved by the people and loved by the studio and this extraordinary figure and it hates her more than anything because it keeps her forever trapped in this cycle of endless chase never reaching love like she's forever doomed to spin like this so hmm. that's that's how i interpreted it very oh, interesting uh for me i thought it represented sort of like you know at, at the end of the movie right like super duper spoilers uh like the woman looks up and it is sort of choka right she has the same mole uh to kind of give that away and i thought it sort of represented her like her inner doubt about the chase that she's on like because it show the the spinning wheel woman other than her first appearance always seems to show up when someone is trying to get her to to stop chasing right like her her mother you need to marry somebody like you're, you're not going to be young forever or i guess when she's in the rocket ship and like you know the, the, the studio falls apart and she sees her like reflection so it's like will she ever find what she's looking for is she wasting her life chasing someone and she may never find who she eventually can't even really remember like it sort of gives her the doubt that she never really expresses out loud like she's always chasing this person she always loves this person i think this is her doubt wow that's that's very deep i like that hmm. i like that a lot nice well you know regardless i there there's a very deep metaphor there and you can search for different meaning i feel like every time you watch it um so it's it's just fantastic which i think scott if you've got nothing else i really want to move into how deeply layered this story is holy wow let's do some of that um so there's oh my gosh there's just so many layers to pick apart and love and and go through um obviously there's there's the sense of longing you know and a sense of uh, being eternal i think um you know chioko is chasing after this artist that that she falls in love with and we don't even know his name and it's just right he's literally credited i think as like the artist or something like that yeah. the, the credit sequence is just like or like you know the man with the scar right we don't know his name either right you don't know who these people are but they they play such pivotal parts and she's eternally chasing this and i think the the man in many ways is anything you want it to be the artist is anything you want it to be it's it's love it's fame it's what you know it's chasing a ghost it's in many it can be so many different things but you know Chioko's chasing it and it's this incredible sense of longing like I said at, at certain point in the film I will always just break down crying because I feel the longing she feels mm. so it's it's really really uh incredible so um, the, there's a line that Genya drops very early on, uh, he and the cameraman are walking up to Choco's house and the cameraman's like, why are we even here <laughs> trying to film this like has been actress? What is she like an old hag now? And right. Genya... At this point, at this point she has been retired for th I think 30 years yeah, from acting. Yeah. It's quite a while. So Genya spins around, hits the guy in the face with like a pocket, <laughs> a, a wallet or something. This amazing slow-mo shot. Yeah. By the way. Like... It's beautiful. And goes, she is ageless. And I think that's a massive theme that's supported throughout the film. Like I, I noticed this time on my third watch, everyone around Choco, like she, ages in some way shape or form 
almost thematically with what their life is about. Like, Chiyoko just never seems to age until right, you... Right, and know. actually, oh, and Eiko at one point, right? So yes. Eiko has that line where she's like, oh, I can't even find the energy to hate you anymore. Yeah. Like, but but also she says, oh, what was her, what was her actual line now? Her line is just... like, I always hated you <gasps> Yes. for having... It was something along the lines of... I've like always... For how the chase always kept you kept young. Kept you young, yes. Yeah, that was the line. That was the line. That's and, a really good... Oh, that's good. And and when you watch, like, the director gets fat and kind of, you know, old looking. Yeah. And the man with the scar ages exponentially when he finally shows up at the very oh, end. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And it's all thematically, you know, put together with his life is the hardest, right? He's a... An, uh, what is he like? General in the war, or he? He's 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 always sort of like the prison a minor, keeper. He's like a minor authority. Like he represents the enforcement of the people in power. Like he isn't in power, but he's like a policeman, right? Generally, like that kind of role always. But he does, you know, he's forced to do very harsh things during the war, and his his sequence where he comes back, he has aged in appropriation with what he has lived through the hardship he has lived through like he's totally gray he's lost an eye he's in a leg in a leg and he's he just looks like all the stress he has been through in life you know what i mean it's this beautiful sense of keeping that theme that she is ageless and just like watching there's a sequence later on where it like flips through a bunch of films and it's set just to music oh and, and she's running well, right? not as she's running. That's not the later. Running part. Okay. When she's just in these different films, like she's standing there oh, in the Meiji okay. era. The, the and part where she's, she's sort of like rolls through and then there's like, uh, she's on a horse and yeah, carriage. Yeah, she's sitting in yeah, a horse okay. and carriage. And like, you're watching all these eras go by, but her face isn't changing. Like, she is eternal, but the scenery is not. Like, everything in the movie just supports this beautiful idea. Right, because like she's you know she's acting in all these films, some of which are samurai films, some of which are Meiji films, some of which are uh, like you know nineteen hundreds Godzilla. Godzilla. She's in a kaiju film, uh, and so she's in all these different time periods. But of course, in reality, she's her her acting career is probably twenty five years long. So yeah, it's a really neat way of doing that. Yeah, of keeping that theme. Um, my next point is, is going to be about what I like to call the double helix of Chioko's life and her movie career, you know, mm. and I purposely say it this way because of how beautifully the film just blends those two in and out, in and out, in and out of each other, right? Not just the camera work, like we've harped on where suddenly we're in a movie set and we're not sure like why, um, more to the point, like at certain points you just feel like her whole you know her whole role is is the woman chasing after the thing that you know that she loves right. and that is exactly who she is in real life so when you're weaving in and out of these characters you're always like is she acting for the movie is this her in real life and because right. oh, like there's that scene right where she's uh she's like an army nurse or something and She's like delivering this line and then suddenly, you know, you cut out and the guy's like, oh, she forgot her lines. If only you could, you eventually you'll learn to take on the role that we're playing here. And, but she's also actually chasing this guy. And so she looks up and says, but you know, but I really, you know, I, I, I must find him with real conviction. And, you know, the director and Aiko are sort of taken aback by her sudden ability to, you know, method act. 
So yeah, like perfect. Yeah. So it's, it's just extraordinary how you can blend those two concepts and the, there's such a paper thin wall between them. You know, you've lived her life. And like you said, you've seen all her films, like it's, it's bending in and out all the time and just how easily it goes from, you know, she's on the train, right? At one point, Aiko tricks her and she gets on a train to who she, where she thinks the, the, the artist is and the train gets attacked by bandits or something like that and then she's stuck on the train because it crashes and it's it's on fire and she's desperately trying to yank this door open to get out and then when she does like we are immediately in the next movie you know where she's like Like, running somewhere else and you're like yeah she's now like the you know the, the princess of a castle under attack by by enemy samurai right and you're like wait wait what just no it's the okay. like, what happened to the bandits? Yeah, he's like, what just, where are we? Yeah, and, you know, Genya is like already dressed properly. He's like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. let's go. So it, it just rolls right into that. And you're like, yeah, that, wait, that was her life, right? And now we're, okay, now we're here. And now we're in a movie. But like, you know what? Clearly... That's also her life, like chasing after this guy and meeting the woman with the spinning wheel. Like we're in and out, in and out, in and out. The seamless blend of it right. you know, her and life like, and her movies at the end the part i was mentioning earlier like the, the running sequence uh there's like a part set to music where she's running to basically to get to hokkaido like in real life she wants to get oh to my hokkaido gosh because yes, because of the message yes, she was yes, given yes. by the government guy but like as she's running every scene seems to intercut with a scene she's had in one of her movies like back forth back forth back forth like the whole way so just to sort of bring the point home. So what's very important here, and I'm so glad you picked up on this one, is that I, I hope I phrased this properly. So the entire thing is obviously a documentary about a woman who made a whole bunch of films. And then it's told in magical realism, like you're living through her films. But what happens is it only ever gives you tiny snippets of her movies. And each time it imbues it with an emotion. Okay, it's it's longing, it's heartache, it's anger, it's something, right? And then that sequence where she's running to Hokkaido, it plays back to back to back to back every single sequence of of longing, of of being just a second too late. Mm. You know, she's constantly running, constantly smashing into a door, constantly a second too late to see him, constantly just out of her reach. And then you know, it's the apex of it is her her making it to this this canvas, and it's so incredible. It's like her life was shot for us, the audience, in tiny little pieces, imbued with emotion, and then stitched together like a movie for this final sequence. Mm, oh, I like that. That's really good. And it's it's just so good and so emotional and so awesome. Hmm. Yeah, so in case you're not getting it, we're not going to have a lot of criticism here. Like, no, there's not. Really oh my good. god. The best. <laughs> Just the best. Well, Scott, that's really, like, it from from me. Um, oh, I actually got a couple more big Oh, I'm excited. So I'm excited. Hopefully you'll be able to, to jump in here. I'm uh, ready. So, uh, I think one of the things, this is a small point, but um, and I guess this is another one of those, like, there's so many layers thing. It's also, I think, a neat look at the history of Japanese cinema itself. Right? Because at the beginning of the film... 
the idea is, hey, we are going to make films for nationalist propaganda reasons to support our invasion of Manchuria. And this, from what I understand, more or less is the beginnings of real Japanese cinema. And then, you know, you have the lead up to World War II, uh, during which, of course, there really weren't many movies. Uh, and then after that, you know, so, so of course, at that point, America has conquered Japan. Uh, and a lot of the movies become Western-inspired dramas. There's like a, a shot, like a movie poster that looks kind of like, almost like Singing in the Rain, right? Like a, a guy in a big, you know, overcoat. Oh, that's right, yes. Looking down at, you know, Chiyoko's playing, of course, the leading female role. Like, you know, Western-inspired stuff. Uh, and then, of course, you get the thing where there's a lot of, you know, Japan sort of comes into its own. And, like, there's kaiju films and stuff, you know, stuff that only Japan really produces. Right, yeah. And so it's this cool look at the history of cinema which I thought was also really cool. Yeah, you're so right. You're so right. Man, um, I actually have another point now. I just looked at my oh. notes. So, but go go ahead. I'm I'm excited for your other points. But yes, that's I forgot all about that. Great job. You're yeah. always good on the history. I that's blows right by me. <laughs> I do. And actually that's that's going to be my next point is actually a much longer point about history. So, and I just touched on this a little bit, but like I really liked the sort of subtle lead up to World War II going on in the background of many of Choco's early stories. So, like, the studio, like I said, is making nationalist films. Choco, sort of as she's describing her early life, says, hey, the, the politics of the time had moved to the right. Uh, there's a lot of static images of marching soldiers and vehicles, but they're behind the montages of her early career. They're sort of the backdrop. Like, that's how she started making movies. That's what her movies were kind of about. I mean, the man she's chasing, right? He's going to the Manchurian Front to protest the army's actions there. That's right, yeah. Uh, and one of her most famous movies, The Madonna, has her playing the part of an army nurse. Uh, and so the struggle between the government and activists, again, you know, they're fighting against what they're doing, is in some ways like the driving force of the movie's drama, right? That's what the man, the artist is doing. That's why he gets sort of taken in by the man with the scar, uh, despite the fact it's all in the background. So I guess since Toshi Kondis has a really like deft touch in the sense that I say, I would say the film carries an anti-war anti-authoritarian message, but saying that the way I'm saying it doesn't really get across how sort of quietly the message is woven into the drama of the film. Cause of course the drama is the, the main focus. Uh, <clears throat> and perhaps the, the strongest expression of this is the apology of the man with the scar as he admits that his abuse of power was as bad as those he served. And like, ah, all right, I see the message but very well expressed. Yeah, that's, man, great job with that. Because it is such a, a soft underlying current of, of the film. You're right. Yeah, because mm. numerous points she gets stopped, you know, by Japanese authority, whether it's the man with the scar or otherwise. Um, so in many ways, there are points where, yeah, that that itself is blocking her from her goal. Yeah. Mm. Man, nice. Nicely played. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll jump in with my other point. Uh, so at the end of the, the movie at, at the Fathom event, they had a little interview with the producer, a um, couple of producers on the film or some of the writers. And, uh, one of the really interesting things that the, the producer said is when we were making this film, it was almost as though Chioko took on a man's journey and hmm. I was thinking about that to myself. I'm like, huh. So he's like, well, she, you know, she's chasing a man. And then inevitably, though, this story of of want, of chasing a dream, 
is kind of a man's fantasy, like a romantic a man's romantic fantasy, right? Like this Right, the man pursues the dream. Exactly. Right. Like this this you know, a young man pursues a dream and there's a sense of eternal youth in that theme, but it's so bold to have it put onto a woman and you know, Chioko never sort of transforms into a man in my eyes, not just because she's always, you know, playing distinctly feminine roles, but just she's taking in many ways like a man's romantic journey, but in keeping all the themes of being a woman, like all the important pieces of, of being a woman hmm. and all the thematic elements of, of being a woman, it's very distinctly her story, but it, it has this layering where it's written with a man's romantic journey and I was like wow what a what a unique and bold way to write a story and you know this is an original story they didn't base it off of anything and just wow just holy wow really glad you brought that because my last point was going to be something sort of in the same realm so that's really good um because I think another one that's the sort of the subtle messages in the film is sort of and I'm not really the right person to talk about this, but I'm going to call it sort of pro-feminist or at least pro-equality, which I think is kind of close to what you're saying with, you know, Chioko taking a man's journey. So as the film starts, right, the studio head is debating with Chioko's mother whether she's going to stay home and raise children because that is a woman's duty or if she's going to create families to promote nationalist sentiment, like for the military, right, which is not exactly empowering. By the middle of the film, uh, she's able to marry more or less who she wants. Like, she, I mean, she's sort of pressured into marrying someone, but she gets to pick who it is. Like, she's wearing more or less modern clothing instead of a lot of the traditional stuff she had to wear up to that point. Uh, by the end of the movie, right, she's been living happily more or less alone by, you know, with her, sort of her maid there. Uh, but I think most telling is that in her final film, before leaving the business, she plays the role of a scientist. Genya calls her Professor Chioko. Right. Which I guess was her, her title in the film. And like, wow, what a journey from you're going to have kids because that's your duty to you're a scientist. And you are leaving the man behind. He says, you know, that don't too. go, you'll never come back. And and it's her leaving, you know, him behind. And just I'll use right, those pronouns, sort of, right? The idea of, to of she leaving a he behind in some ways. Yeah, and to continue a journey that she wants to do because the journey itself is is the fun. Right. Is is the theme. Yes. Man, good job with that. Yeah, was, there's so much to see in there's this. There's so much to see. There's so many layers. Man. All right, now I am officially done. Uh Yep, me too. Those were all my points. Um if for some odd reason you didn't get it, watch this film. It's an absolute masterpiece. Uh Oh my gosh, just the best movie. It's fantastic. It's true. And if you start watching it and you think it's a little slow, like, bear with it until the first time that reality merges and you'll be like, whoa, what just happened? Yeah, seriously, like, like keep with it. Keep in mind um, just that there's going to be so many layers. I mean, obviously, I guess that doesn't make sense because we're hoping you don't listen to this before you watch the film. So, oops. That's true. So I guess it's more like uh, we hope you agree that it's really good once you've seen it. Exactly. And then we hope you see it, listen to our podcast, and then tell all your friends that it's it's just the greatest thing ever. Uh, and it's a shame that we lost Satoshi Kon so early. Oh, I know. Looking at this, you're like, this was done, what, like, I forget where it was in his overall filmography, but 
you know, he had obviously had a long career ahead of him. He really did. He really did. And I, I guess I'll just end with the, the last thing one of the producers said. He's like, it amazes me every time that I can watch this film and feel like it's timeless. Like it could play at any point in time, almost like Shoko's career, and, mm. and be a movie that speaks to everybody. So that's what I'll leave you on. It, it, it is timeless. It is phenomenal. Watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's all we got time for. So catch you next time. This is a podcast by the con artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.